With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and this is Short Stuff about fortune cookies, which is jam-packed with stuff you didn't know about fortune cookies. You mean the little cookies that taste terrible that come from China? Uh, part of that's right, yeah. <laughs> which part? Uh, the taste terrible part. Right. Yeah, I love a fortune cookie. I've never loved eating them, uh, but I, I've always liked getting that fortune. I, I've had one or two fortune cookies where I was like, that was all right. I don't oh, yeah? know what the deal was. They were freak fortune cookies, I guess, because uh-huh. that is definitely a rarity for sure. But yeah, it's fun. They should sandwich a fortune in the middle of an Oreo. Yeah, why not? Then I'd be down. So um, one of the things that I never realized, that I never realized I didn't realize until I started researching this, Chuck, is that the fortune is not actually baked into the fortune cookie. Did you know that? <laughs> well, sure. It would catch fire. I didn't ever think about that. <laughs> I never did. And also, it would be like gross from the, you know, the batter. A fortune cookie is a little thin <laughs> wafer cookie. Yeah. And when you start to cook it, initially, it's batter still. So that would make the fortune paper pretty mushy. So, all right, <laughs> smart guy, how do they put the fortunes in the fortune cookie then? What you mean by you never really thought about it was you literally never thought about it for one second. That's absolutely okay. true. <laughs> uh, I, they bake it for a little while first, and then they stick it in there, right? Yeah. Bake it and stick it. Bake and stick. And then fold it. Bake, stick, and, well, you got to fold first, right? Or do you no, bake no, it you fold first? afterward. That's the key. So you oh, bake okay. it as a flat wafer cookie, and then when you pull it out of the oven, it's still pliable. Yeah, yeah. Really quick fold it into that, gotcha. into that thing with the, with the uh, fortune inside. All right. Well, we joked earlier, I joked about it uh, coming from China, and you might think that they do because you find them traditionally in Chinese restaurants at the end of a meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is probably not so. But we do have a couple of reasons why people might think this. And one of them is the fact that uh, this story about mooncakes from China, this this food uh, that's kind of associated with the, the mid-autumn festival mm-hmm. uh, when they're celebrating uh, fall harvest. Uh, it's a little pastry. It's got a little sweeter, savory filling. They're usually round because it's shaped like the moon, but they can be square. And they are baked to a golden brown as far as the Cantonese style go, and they stamp a little uh, name when they're cooking this thing after they mold it, so it's got a little uh, stamp on there. Right, which tells you what's inside. That's and right. a lot of times there's stuff like lotus paste, which is sweet, sweet, uh, sweet bean paste, which is good, red date paste, which is originally where the word jujube comes from. Mm-hmm. And then no matter whether it's salty or savory, from what I understand, the surprise in the middle is one or more salted cured chicken eggs. Yeah. Uh, yolks. Duck egg yolks. I'm sorry. Which are, have you ever had one of those? I don't think so. I think I'd probably know if I did. It does not get saltier than that. Oh, like, really? part of your face will just fall right off after a couple of bites. It's crazy. <laughs> I like just dries stuff. up and falls. You will, well, then you will like duck eggs. You can get them at um, H Mart. They'll have them in, like, the dairy section. What's H Mart? Oh, it's like the, the big uh, Asian grocery store, Korean grocery store. Mm, I don't know about that. We have the, oh. our local Japanese store mm-hmm. nearby. No, this is like a supermarket. Okay. It's over on uh, 285 in Peachtree Industrial. 
Oh, of course it is. Yeah, go check it out, actually. It's really good because not only do they have everything that's Asian in, like, a supermarket format, Chuck, so, like, all sorts of stuff you've never heard of to try, they also have the most outstanding food court you will ever encounter in your life. Oh, you know what? I may have been there then. It's really good. Are there, like, eight mm-hmm. eight restaurants? Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Okay. Because I'm constantly seeking the best egg roll in Atlanta because Atlanta doesn't do egg rolls right. Oh, yeah. I never really tried them. Yeah, they're the worst. I finally found a place, though. Okay. Uh, anyway, so as the story goes, back in the 13th and 14th centuries when China was being occupied by Genghis Khan and the Mongols, mm-hmm. uh, legend has it that they didn't like this lotus nut paste. And so when they were warring, the Chinese hid messages about like what they were doing, the date of an uprising, maybe instructions or, you know, how to coordinate the battle. And they would stick them in these moon cakes, knowing that their message would get through to the Chinese. But because the Mongols didn't like the lotus nut base, they would just go, ah, and they'd throw it away. Yeah, can't you see, like, some Mongol horde being like, what is that, a mooncake? What's in there? They're like, uh, cured salted duck egg yolk. Oh, yeah, what else? Lotus nut paste? Oh, God, get it away from me. Yeah, what else? Oh, just instructions about the invasion. Right, exactly. So so that legend apparently is pretty widespread, and some people say that's probably where fortune cookies came from, right? Yeah, and I think— the other thing, too, is that when children are born in China, mm-hmm. that families send out little cake rolls with messages inside uh, announcing the birth of the child. So okay. there's these couple of things and the fact, of course, that you get them in Chinese restaurants. Most people would just assume that they're from China. Yes, but then most people would be wrong because there is basically no one who's looked into this story um, or the origin of fortune cookies that is like, yep, yeah, they're from China. That's just wrong. And we'll tell you where they are actually probably from right after this. Right, Chuck? Ooh. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids, because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Where are they from? 
<laughs> uh, Japan and America. That's right. Uh, dating back to the 1870s in Kyoto, Japan, they had what were called fortune crackers. Do you want to rattle off that Japanese name? Uh, Sugiura Senbei. Man, you've really nailed it. Thank you. Can you actually speak Japanese now? No. I okay. just know how to pronounce <laughs> Japanese words when I see them. I didn't know if you were learning a little bit or not. No, it just, it won't stick. Yeah. And I've never, like, sat down and actually really, try, well, that's not true. I have tried a couple of times, but I've never, like, gone to class or anything. But for the, the stuff I have tried to pick up, it's just not stuck so far. How good is Yumi's Japanese? Oh, it's, like, pretty much flawless. Yeah, well, that's why you don't learn it, because when you go to Japan, you're just like, all yeah, right, you've got I'm your really, own translator built in. Um, I'm very lucky, too, because it's like a, a second nature impulse for her to just tell me what's going on sure, rather than just continue on in this conversation. It's really it's really helpful, but, yeah, it's it's tough not to become dependent on that, you know? <laughs> She's like, I hate that big dopey, I don't know what's going on face right. here, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's that? What's that? Oh, What's man, that guy doing? Good stuff. I wish Emily spoke something good. <laughs> what does she speak? What's she English? doing with her life? She studied French, but oh, like yeah. like every other kid studied a little bit of French. She doesn't really know any. It's like me and my German. We're useless. I'm with you. Like me and French, too. Uh, but those fortune crackers in Japan from the 1870s are flavored uh, generally with like miso or sesame or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not the the fortune cookie that we know. The other differentiator is that the fortunes were tucked into the bend of the fortune cookie. Pretty lazy, people in Kyoto. As opposed to where? Inside the actual fortune. Oh, or they were on the outside the in cookie. the bend? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, which you don't, I mean, that's not good. They didn't, they never learned the bacon stick. No, I guess not. It, but they did seem to originate something like fortune cookies. The question is, how did that get to America? That's still unclear. So instead we say, okay, how, where did the actual fortune cookie as we know it came from? And that's actually disputed. But the first, the earliest um, story is uh, in 1907. And there's a guy named Makoda, Makoda Hagiwara. And he was the caretaker of the Japanese tea gardens in San Francisco. And there's Love a story. Place. I've not been, actually. It's at Golden Gate Park, right? Mm-hmm. It's great. I, I've got to check it out. But um, uh, Hagiwara-san, he apparently was fired for being Japanese mm-hmm. by the mayor of San Francisco at the time, who said, oh, there's a Japanese person taking care of the Japanese <laughs> tea gardens at, at Golden Gate Park. Fire that person. Not very San Francisco. No, and apparently Mr. Hagiwara was very beloved, and uh, the public came to his aid and made sure that he got rehired. Right, and as a thank you, he made legit fortune cookies like we know them mm-hmm. with little thank you notes inside mm-hmm. and give uh, gave them out to people who supported him. And like you said, this was 1907, so a lot of people say, well, there you go, bing, bang, boom, that's when it started in the U.S. Yeah, San Francisco is the home of the fortune cookie. And Los Angeles is not so fast, everybody. Of course. Not only were we the ones who invented the fortune cookie, it was actually a Cantonese immigrant from China who invented the fortune cookie. No, not 1907. I don't even believe your story, says L.A. This happened in 1918, and it was a guy named David Jung, founder of the Hong Kong Noodle Company. And he used to hand out little fortune cookies with little Bible scripture um, printed on them as kind of a pick-me-up for people for who were unemployed wandering around Los Angeles that he'd encounter. That's right. Uh, that's one version of the story. The other is that 
he created them as little appetizers mm-hmm. when people are waiting, uh, very Seinfeldian, waiting <laughs> for their table at the Chinese restaurant. He would hand them out uh, to people in line as a little aperitif, I guess, to hold you over. Mm-hmm. So there's a mock court that was put together in 1983, the Court of Historical Reviews and Appeals. I believe they ruled on other stuff previously. But in 1983, they took up the issue of the um, the fortune cookie. And being a San Francisco mock court, they ruled very clearly that San Francisco was the birthplace of the fortune cookie. That's right. L.A. and San Francisco, they always have hated each other. They're always at it over something, you know? And, I think and then San Diego's like, what about me? <laughs> oh, poor San Diego. They're just down there surfing, bro. Yeah. Remember we did that weird show there in that Man, it was church so or something? Yeah, and for a little while I was convinced that it was the church <laughs> yeah. from um, Prince of Darkness, the right. John Carpenter movie. But I went back and watched the movie again. I was like, this isn't it. But it had the same vibe. Yeah, I remember two things about that show. I remember it didn't really have a green room bathroom, so oh, I was yeah. just in there peeing in the urinals next to everyone, and they were like, oh, hey, there's Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. Uh, and uh, I remember there was a guy on the front row fully filming the entire thing with a video camera. And he looked mad about yeah. it. Like he was, he was <laughs> what are you like doing? generating ev- evidence or something. It was weird. <laughs> so strange. Uh, maybe we'll come back one day, San Diego, if you get your act together. <laughs> that's right. Uh, the meantime, was stay classy. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. They were made for about 40 years with chopsticks, mm-hmm. which uh, that takes a lot of skill to, <laughs> to fold and make these things with chopsticks, I would think. It's a very Japanese way to make fortune cookies. And it actually was the Japanese bakers in San Francisco who dominated the business from the early 20th century up until World War II when they were forced out of the business because they were also forced out of their homes uh, after Pearl Harbor. Um, and the Japanese were uprooted and put into internment camps. And one of the outcomes of that was that they stopped making fortune cookies. And apparently this created a vacuum that the Chinese immigrants in the United States stepped in to fill. Very nice. Uh, Those first fortune cookies in the U.S. uh, did have little proverbs and sometimes scripture, but they started to get a little more English and Americanized by the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And you started to get some of these, like, you know, Confucius says this kind of things in there. Right. Uh, and then, you know, poor Richard's Almanac kind of stuff went in there. And then the lottery numbers started creeping in. Never been a big fan of that. No. With the little emoji smiley faces and jokes and stuff like that. Not, not a big fan of that stuff. No, especially smiley faces, unless there's some other message that makes a smiley face appropriate. I'm all right with that. Yeah, just give me a a classic fortune. So one of the great ironies of all this, Chuck, is that in the mid-90s, the Wonton Food Company, the, the world's largest maker of fortune cookies, looked around and said, what market have we not penetrated? Europe loves these things. America loves these things. What about China? China's going to love these too. And it took off like a rocket, right? No, it did not at all. And they basically said they're too American for us. And uh, even though they make 4 million of these things every day to the tune of about 3 billion cookies every year, they they didn't take off there. They didn't like them. They didn't want them. Yeah, and I did that math. And apparently they have two factories because you'd be making about 8 million a day to, to come up with 3 billion. But who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if that's how much they were making. I mean, those things are flowing like water here in the States. Fuzzy math. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, So I want to give a shout out to What's Cooking America, LA Times, Today, History, 
And um, Jennifer Eight Lee, who popped up in, I think, our Chinese Food on Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. She wrote the Fortune Cookie Chronicles, Adventures in the World of Chinese Food. She did a lot of scholarly research on fortune cookies recently. So hats off to her as well. Nice. Uh, and hats off to you guys for listening to this episode of Short Stuff. Short Stuff is away now. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.